Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so anyway, so Bob Bob had his had bypass surgery done. Uh, four of them. Uh, Julie just re just heard from Sarah that uh, he's doing fantastic. That's the word she used. Uh, but there's a lot of recovery involved in all of that, and you know, um, it's never a good thing to have to have that kind of surgery. But it's good that they're able to do that surgery, and he's able to have you know to to move forward and just live. So praise the Lord for that. But just do pray that he does recover well, and that um, everything goes well. And just pray for Sarah. I know that she's you know wife and so very concerned and, and everything. Um, so pray for her for him. Um, and uh, Bob, I don't know how how's your granddaughter's family do? Any changes? They're essentially through the COVID deals. Um, her biggest concern is she's susceptible to cystic fibrosis. Mm. She doesn't have it, but I guess it's one of those things that any little thing that could trigger, you know, some kind of reaction in the mucus producing yeah. system. Right back into a lung problem again. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll pray for them. We'll keep praying for them. And then uh, Bud mentioned Sonia Ferguson. I don't have an update on Sonia. Um, she's still in the hospital, as last I saw a Facebook photo. Um, but uh, uh, just keep her in prayer. I don't know what the status is really. She has cool. encephalitis. As encephalitis, okay. Okay, so encephalitis and partial paralysis on the left side. One side, I don't know. Okay, on one side. Okay, uh, so we'll be praying for her. And then, um, so then we also want to pray for Gwaine. Um, my phone is over there, so I can't use it to read the last text that I got, but try to remember everything that he said. Basically, you, let me have your phone. I'll just read it. I didn't get the text. You didn't get that text? No, but what's going on is, um, his text said that the cancer is progressing still, mm -hmm. and that, um, they're gonna, because of the cancer in his L1 back here, it's, it's fractured basically, mm -hmm. and they're gonna put a balloon. Friday, they got it scheduled. Friday, they're doing the surgery where they're gonna put a balloon in and, and open that up, and then some kind of cement. It's, a, it's got a name. I, mm -hmm. I, 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 to keep it off the nerves, to get it off the nerves, mm -hmm. because the pain goes down. So it's legs. basically the the, the 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 cement stuff that they put in will in, will bring the the vertebrae back to a normal size, get the pressure off the spine. Which that's where all of his ninety yeah. percent of his pain is coming from that, and so they're hoping that I don't know how long it takes for that stuff to, to dry or to cure or whatever, but uh, it's called kyphoplasty or something to that effect. Yeah. If I have my text, I can read it. But um, uh, so that's scheduled for Friday, right? Friday. So uh, just keep keep them in prayer. Uh, there's a lot going on, uh, and he's still, you know, he's still got the cancer to deal with, and um, and so uh, there's a lot, a lot happening with them, and they definitely need your prayer for them. Um, I haven't talked to Sharon Bolkin in a while, or Bob, so I need to get an update from them. But keep them in prayer. Uh, they're not able to come to church until our doctor says you can come, and I don't know when that'll be. Um, 
and um, pray for Bud, pray for Desiree. I saw Desiree in the lobby, and she was serving in the lobby this morning, but I don't know what her status is, but I think uh, we're going to keep her in prayer. Um, uh, a couple of other things aside from prayer. So the 24th, which is Christmas Eve, we'll have a service uh, at 6 o'clock. And uh, we mentioned last Sunday that there's these little uh, cards that you can find on the Connections counter that you can use as an invitation. It's got a little barcode scan on there. You, they can scan it and it'll give them, take them to the website, give them information about the, the service. Uh, but that's at 6 o'clock on Christmas Eve. And um, I think that's all squared away, isn't it? I mean, did they get somebody to do the little gift bags for the kids and stuff? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Who is? Okay, so it should get taken care of then. Um, and then uh, on the thing that I didn't mention last week, I did send out an email. I don't know if everybody, I hope everybody got that email regarding a class uh, party, Christmas fellowship dinner thing. Uh, if you did not get that email, sorry, uh, I try to get it out to everybody, um, but uh, I just want to make sure, if, you, if you're not getting emails from me, let me know, so I'll make sure I got your correct email address, uh, so um, I'll try to get that posted, but anyway, this, so I, two weeks ago, we announced it, uh, and then I didn't say anything about it last week, and then, so it's next, next Saturday evening at 5 in the common ground room uh and so we're gonna do uh we haven't we haven't gotten together in fellowship like this with a class in a good number of well a long time i don't remember how long it's been it's been a long time and uh so we're gonna do that we're gonna do uh uh a white white elephant gift exchange which um seems always be fun you know i don't know all the rules but basically somebody opens the first person opens a gift and they get to either exchange it for another gift or keep it, and then the second person gets to either open a gift or take the one that was already open. Yeah. yeah. I think Ray should be limited to the size of box he could bring. <laughs> there you go, Ray. He already has his picked out, and it's a, it's a small one, so okay. you're okay. So uh, you can't like wrap it in a bigger box or smaller box. Come on, that was fun. You can't, you can't, you can't nest them. So what if they got a table saw? That <laughs> I mean, if you have a big gift. <laughs> But keep it uh, used or, un or inexpensive. I think that's the rule, used or inexpensive. At least I, I don't know if that's actually the rule or not. Um, I know last time we did this, I actually got a white elephant, which was pretty cool. I still have that in my office. That's pretty cool. He still has it. Yeah. It broke this. Some, somehow it fell over and the, the trunk broke. I would, I would put it in the gift, but because it's broken, I'm, you know, I don't think that would appropriate but anyway that's for, that's this saturday we're having dinner and i think julie told me today that she's heard from a lot of you already well i'm like i'm thinking i ain't heard from anybody maybe we should just cancel but she said oh no a lot of people are going to be here so we, we communicate real well yeah no but she hadn't let me know yeah. Anyway, so I'm I'm really excited. But basically, we're going to provide the meat, um, and uh, so bring a dish. I think that's all covered. You got Julie got that under under underway, and 
And um, so praise the Lord for that. We'll have fun, just a quick get together, just share some time together, share some some Christmas uh, fellowship. So that's going on. And then um, a couple of other things coming down the road. Um, the uh, well, we'll have a Christmas Day service. I don't see, I'm not sure if that's right. I know we're having on the 19th, we're having Christmas service, and then Christmas Eve, but we're not having a Christmas Day. But that Sunday, the 26th, we'll, we'll have service, but I don't think we're having, I don't think, and just, I will let everybody know, but I think that there was a discussion about not having uh, Bible fellowship. That's correct. So, I, I'm pretty sure we're just going to have main service on the 26th. Right. So, they won't, so we'll have class next week, and then, we, and then the following week won't. Weekend we won't. Um, let's see what else did I want to make sure I told. I wrote. I tried to write everything down, but I didn't. Obviously. Oh, uh, HBF is 20 years old next 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 month, and so we're going to have a, a special celebration uh, anniversary on the 20th. I don't know exactly what date that is right now. I just know it's coming up, and I don't know if it's in the ball. The 9th of January. There's a sign up for the same picture. Is there? In the lobby. In the lobby. Oh. And so if you have the name from A to P, you are to bring a side dish. And O to Z, you are to bring dessert. But A to P. A to P, side dish. O to Z, dessert. <laughs> Is that in the bulletin? Yes. Thank goodness. <laughs> That's a good way to remind Okay, um, what else is in the bulletin is a bake sale on December 19th for the, um, uh, they're trying to raise some more money to provide benches and picnic tables and such out there around the playground. Um, uh, so, so that's, you know, that'll be growing, which will be a really nice place once we get it all built and set up and everything, and uh, that'll be nice. So there's a bake sale on the 19th. Uh, and then uh, I think that same Sunday, we're doing a, uh, uh, we're taking up a special offering for our missionaries. You know, every year we do a Christmas offering. Is I think that's next weekend, the 19th as well. So we'll, so every year what we do is we take up a special offering. In addition to your regular offering, we take up an offering for our missionaries. And we divide that up with them, all of our approved and supported missionaries and try to figure out what the best way to to dip, uh, distribute that fund so just bear that in mind keep that keep that keep aware of that so that's coming up on the I believe on the 19th as well which is next Sunday I think that's next Sunday it's the 12th so yeah uh, I think that's all the that's not, that's not about swapping with Luke with the June 15th oh the cleaning yeah did you get my email about the cleaning no <laughs> seriously seriously yeah. okay you <laughs> Well, you're still in Cass County. Yeah, that's true. I'm in Cass County. You're in Cass County. Everybody in Cass County should get my emails. I know. <laughs> anyway. Um, hey, we're not in Cass. We're in Cash. <laughs> yeah, you wish you were in Cash County. Uh, okay, so um, two weeks ago I told you, that I had it on the on the handout that our clean, first cleaning day was January 8th. 
the weekend of January 8th. And I, I apparently misstated it verbally and said it was, in, it was a different date. And then last week, I tried to correct that again and say, oh, it's, it's, it's February, whatever, 12th or 2nd or whatever. Okay, so my email said, I'm sorry, change three. We're cleaning on the 8th of January. That's our schedule. And I actually send everybody in the email this. So oh, if, I didn't get that. <laughs> Seriously, I don't know. Okay, well, uh, Julie, uh, help me. I, I mean, I got an email from these guys. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, you do. I get some. I took it right out of the uh, uh, Shelby Next for the group for the class. Oh, he doesn't have Shelby Next. You don't have to have it. I'm just emailing from the, that list. So. Tell you what, if you if if you didn't get an email, call Brianna or Luke, and they will verify your email. <laughs> or talk to yourself in the mirror. Okay, so anyway, we're wasting time here. So okay, so here's the thing. So we are having class, or we are cleaning scheduled right now on the eighth of January. But in the email, I also said. Now that I've got that straight, I hope, uh, there has been a request from the high school class, because they're cleaning on the first, on January 1st weekend, and apparently uh, Luke and Brenda are not going to be here, and I don't know what else is going on, but he emailed me and said, would you guys mind swapping, because they're the first, they're the first weekend, we're the second weekend, and so they want to know if we would clean on the first weekend so they could clean on the second weekend. I said, well, I'll check with the class, and if they like you, then they will. I don't know. So anyway, uh, so I asked if there's any people that would be willing to clean on New Year's Day um, or New Year's Eve, have a cleaning party. Well, why Bishops will be here on New Year's Eve? Well, there's no point cleaning before that. Well, I think that they clean up a little bit after they're done. Yeah, they do. They empty the trash, and they don't vacuum it. They do empty yeah. the trash and clean the I mean, kitchen. Um, we've always, well, when we had multiple teams, whenever my team, we would always clean on Friday night anyway and try to get ahead of them, vacuum the auditorium uh, before they get in there and everything. But I don't care. I just, if, if, if you guys are okay with that, then I'll tell them we'll swap. If, there, if, if there's enough to help clean on New Year's Day. Um, we might be in Iowa still. Yeah, two of us. So I'm not, yeah. I can't. Okay, well, this sure. is on the way to Iowa. <laughs> That's fine. I don't expect. I don't expect everybody will be if if, if we don't have enough because it is a holiday weekend and people are going to be like you guys going out of town and have already other plans to do on New Year's Day. I mean, and so if that, I, I can tell him sorry. Uh, that's the luck of the draw you got with that weekend. So we've gotten Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'll tell him that we probably can't do it for right now. Um, and uh, he'll he'll be fine. He said, I, "I know it's a hard ask to, to change on a holiday like that. So especially when people are going to be gone, because obviously he's going to be gone too. So, um, so we'll work it out. I don't know. Anyway, okay. So that's it. That, that, that everything. <sighs> okay. Anybody else got anything? <laughs> okay. So there's other stuff in the bulletin. and I don't need to go into all of that. Um, 
So, okay, so let's, uh, my Bible. Psalm chapter 149, where we're going to read today, it's only nine verses, we'll read through that, we'll pray. Okay, so let's read Psalm chapter 149, starting in verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of saints. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Zion be, play, be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with the timbrels and harp. For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishments upon the, the people, to bind their kings and cha with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute upon them the judgment written. This honor have all of his saints. Praise ye the Lord. Father in heaven, Lord, we just do thank you and praise you for the, for the opportunity to uh, read, your, read your word and, and pray your word back to you. We're thankful, Lord, that we have the privilege of coming before the living God and praying. We have a lot of, a lot of things to pray about, Lord, a lot of things, uh, petitions that we want to bring forward, uh, forward to you. Uh, starting with Bob Bickett, Lord, just pray that he continue to heal and recover quickly and that, uh, that everything goes well, doesn't have any infections or any other things going on with him. We pray for Bob Klein's uh, grand, granddaughter and her family, Lord, as they uh, address uh, coming out of a COVID situation in the whole house. Uh, we, we have others that we mentioned. I do want to pray for Dwayne Arney, Lord. Just lift him up to you with everything he's got going on, Lord, all the things that are happening with him. I pray, Lord, that you would ease his burden of pain in his back, that you would, uh, that the surgery that's going to help that, Lord, would go uh, quickly and smoothly and efficiently to accomplish everything that uh, they desire. Lord, I do pray for them that they would uh, lean heavily on you and that you would uh, uh, help them feel your presence in their life. Uh, I know, Father, sometimes in, in, in times that are difficult that just never seem to end, Lord, sometimes we, we look out, where are you? And, Lord, I pray that you would make yourself known to the whole family, to the whole church, that you are real, that you do care, that you are healing and you are helping in every, in every possible way. And uh, we, Lord, pray we do pray for the, for our church after 20 years of uh, uh, service to you, Lord. I pray that we continue to uh, uh, send the light out uh, to be a, a lighthouse, a beacon of truth and knowledge of the Word of God, and a place where people can be rescued from sin and healed from from uh, this, the results of sin. We thank you for the opportunity to study your word. We praise you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Father, we turn to heaven. We 
thank you for this passage that tells us about um, the context of the day of the Lord and where we looked toward uh, Calvary, Lord, you looked to the day of the Lord when evil would be put down and um, that is a that will be a joyful day, Lord. What a day that will be when um, those things that all the evil and sin will be dealt with on this earth. And we just thank you for that coming day. We thank you for the gift of your son. And Lord, in the meantime, um, the dear saints who, who are hurting, uh, Lord, just pray that you would uh, give them encouragement, that you would heal their bodies, and give them Father, to conclude in prayer again, we're just thankful that uh, we have the privilege to come before you. We do uh, ask, Lord, that you would uh, speak to our hearts now this morning. Help us to uh, assimilate what is being said, not just in in the real life class, but in the main service and uh, and for everybody that's in other rooms right now, Lord, that are being taught the Word of God. I pray, Father, that the Word go forth boldly, has an immediate and lasting impact in every person's life. And we thank you and praise you for all that you do and for who you are. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're in 2 Corinthians still. We're continuing our study. We're in chapter 10 today. Um, in the last three or four weeks, we, we dealt with the, the topic of giving. So we're moving away from that now. We're in the topic, topic of leadership. And, uh, and so let me just kind of remind everybody, so for the previous nine chapters, uh, there's a whole tone of uh, things that Paul was dealing with and addressing and talking about. Let me just give you a, a list. I started to put it in your note, but I, I was going to take up too much space. So the first thing that we talked about, and some of the first things, was the comfort found in the bond that we have with Christ. That was kind of in chapter 1. Uh, also in chapter 1 and 2 was the purpose of the believer. Um, what is our purpose? What are we, our role? What do we do? And these are things that Paul was talking about. Remember in chapter 2 and 3, I believe, we talked about eight attitudes of a transparent Christian which is kind of where we got the concept of, or the, the, the study topic of being transparent as a Christian. And so we looked at eight attitudes that we should possess and demonstrate to the world. Uh, then we talked, and one of them including was for, in particular was forgiveness. Uh, then we talked about what an open door looked like. Remember we talked about going back to Macedonia. Uh, we talked about the idea of going back to, to remind yourself of the door that God has given you as an opportunity to serve him, to, be, well, to get saved, of course, and then to serve him. Uh, and then we talked about the, the message that we deliver. When we, we all have a message to deliver. We, we call it uh, the gospel, but we have other messages as well, which is how God helps in time of need. Not just in salvation, but in times of need. And then we talk about the, the glory of, of ministry, what it, what it means to serve. You know, God uh, told Paul to tell us that he had given us the ministry of reconciliation. 
So we have that ministry. And we talk about the hope of glory and then kind of rounding things out with the abundant, abounding and laboring in ministry. What that, what's that look like? I mean, the, the desire that we should have to minister and then understanding biblical giving was the topic that we rounded things out. And so now we're going to make, kind of make a shift here. So many times we've seen Paul speak of these things, speak of these uh, who he talked about in passing, but basically those who have attacked his person, his leadership, and his teaching. I refer to them as false teachers or false apostles or uh, the cults or um, uh, the Judaizers or so on. Gave them all kinds of different names. Uh, but after receiving a good report from Titus, which kind of led to chapter 9, 8 and 9, he got a good report from Titus. It would have been really simple for Paul. Look at, look at the last verse in chapter 9 real quick. Because it's interesting that after Paul had dealt with everything that he dealt with, he could have actually ended the letter at the end of chapter 9. The chapter 9 says, the last verse says, well, let me verse 14 and 15, And by their prayer for you, which, which long after you, for the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. He could have just closed the letter right there, but he didn't. He, 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 he made, a, he made a, serious, a, a very sharp turn to talk about the leadership that was at the church that thought they were the leaders. Paul is actually still the leader of the church, even though he's not president uh, uh, at the time. But these other men have come in, these false, false teachers and these cultists and, and so on. Uh, they have come in and messed everything up and trying to take over the leadership of the church. So Paul, at, in chapter 10, he makes a drastic turn. At the start of chapter 10, he turns from the Corinthians. From, he's basically been talking to the Corinthians and kind of pointing to those people, but mostly talking to the church members. Now he's going to address those people more directly in, over the next well, the remaining chapters of the letter, actually. Uh, so he makes this drastic turn to start in chapter 10. Uh, he turns from the Corinthians and starts speaking directly to his critics. Uh, and so we already know about these critics. We know them, as, as I've already described them, as false teachers. And Paul is no longer giving them not a nod. He's not just like, yeah, I know they're over there. I know what they're saying. I'm, let's move on. That's kind of how he's been doing it for the last nine chapters. But now he's not doing that anymore. He's no longer giving them a nod. Now he's going to call them out for their destructive leadership as they have turned the hearts and minds and actions of the church against Paul and against Christ and against everything else they stand for, uh, what they have been taught. And he, they're, you know why? Because they're trying to bring them back under the, the law. These guys are trying to bring the church back under the law, under the Old Testament law. And so he's not going to let that happen. So this turn actually towards his critics is actually seen in chapters 10 through 13. And we're going to spend a lot of time talk, dealing with those people. So as Paul's focus in turn turned directly towards his critics, he addresses them for their lack of leadership at the cost of misdirecting. That's part of the problem of bad leadership. He misdirects the, they misdirected the church. Um, uh, uh, remember that passage in, Pro, in Proverbs chapter 26, verse 4 and 5? Where it says, "Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest he be also, lest thou also be like unto him." Verse five says, "Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit." 
So Paul is like, he's no longer going to ignore them. Now he's going to answer them. He's going to respond to them because they're fools. And that's what Paul's going to deal with. Uh, so he's going to come at them face on. No longer like giving the nod, oh yeah, I know they're over there, let's just move on. Now he's turned and said, I'm coming after you now. That's what he's doing in chapter 10. He doesn't write to these foolish men. Instead, he uses their foolishness to teach the church what good leadership really looks like in truth. You know, I don't know, a lot of people are in a, in a position of leadership, and some people are, you know, other people are serving under leadership. But how do you know that that leader is good, or how do you know that you're a good leader? Those are good questions to ask. I mean, I've kind of put myself in that category because of the role I have at this church. But am I the leader that God wants me to be? Am I the leader that I need to be? Those are questions that I think every one of us should ask. Because at some point in time, and I've told you this, I told my, my Bible Institute class on, the, on this topic of leadership, we all lead somebody. We are all leading somebody, even if it's our children, if it's our spouse, uh, both sides, not just the husband and, and leading the wife. The wife helps. I mean, if it wasn't for Julie, a lot of times I'd be, I'd be a mess. So she helps lead things, correct things, straighten me out, you know, and I need it a lot. And so um, I'm not ashamed to say that. Uh, so we're a pair of leaders, and, uh, and our household functions a whole lot better because of it. And so, uh, so anyway, Paul is, is going to address this, the leadership of this church. Uh, so the lessons that are just found in chapter 10 will guide us to, to becoming a better leader in our ministries, in our home, and it will raise the maturity level throughout the church. Because that's what's happening. The maturity level is dropping off big time, and, and Paul needs to correct it. So we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to finish the whole chapter, like, I hope. But uh, I mean, let's start in verse verses 1 and 2 of chapter 10. I call that they're challenging his boldness and they're confused about his, about his meekness and as, as, this, as if it's fear. Verse 1, Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent and bold towards you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with you, uh, with that confidence wherein I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. You get the tone right there? He's, he's like, I'm going to deal with these people here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut them off at the knees and straighten them out. So he rebukes these false leaders by taking their accusations, and he uses it to define a very important trait of the leader. And their accusations, matter of fact, I'm going to give you six principles out of chapter, chapter 10, six principles of leadership, of good leadership. What, what, what does a good leader look like? And there's a lot of, you can, you can define leadership in a lot of different ways, but just out of this chapter, I see six. So um, their accusation, that these, these false teachers, was that Paul was only as bold as the distance he was from them. The further away he got, the more bold he would get. That's their accusation. And, and, and Paul's like, Okay, let's talk about that. Uh, they claimed that his letters were full of bold speak, but he would never say to you, the church, to, to your face, what he says in the letter. That's, that's the challenge. Uh, yeah, he's bold in his letters, but you know, if he were to show up here, he would never, never would he say those kind of things to you because he's not that bold. And that Paul says, okay, well, let's talk about that then. 
They claimed that his letters were full of bold speaking. And he acknowledges that his letters were bold. He says in verse 10, if you drop down to verse 10 of this chapter, he says, for his letters that say they, for his letters say they, that would be the cultists and the, the false teachers, He's, for his letters say they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. So that's pretty bold. And he's saying, okay, so yeah, I get what I'm saying. He's about to point out that his demeanor, his behavior, is not because he's weak, but because he, like Christ, operates in the balance of meekness and boldness. There's a balance in me- of meekness and boldness that we need to find as leaders. And so he's about to point this out to them. In verse 1, uh, again, he's, you know, being, bold, being absent, he says, being absent, I am bold. That's okay, I can be bold. I'm going to be bold. Uh, how you doing? Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Uh, so he says, uh, he says, to be base. Now, he used that word base. Look at verse 1 again. Uh, now, I, 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 Paul, myself, beseech you by the mirth, by the mirth, I can't even say anything, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base, he uses that, that expression, am based among you, but being absent am bold. So he's talking both boldness and base. And I'll explain what that word means here in just a second. So he agrees that his letters have been bold. He knew that, which he, that's actually why he was a little hesitant to come. Remember, he had to send Titus. We talked about this before. He wrote several letters to the church. He, uh, he sent Titus. He sent Titus again. He's like, i got to make sure. i got to make sure. And I think when we got at the end of chapter 7, I believe it was, where Titus finally came with the full report, finally Paul said, okay, they're making the change now I can talk about some, some real important stuff. And then he talked about uh, how to find, um, how to forgive. And he talked about uh, getting right with people and so on. And, uh, but now, so, so he had to wait. So his letters, he had to wait. He, 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 he was careful how he sent them. I mean, we called one letter the, um, the what was it? The, 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 the lost letter, the long letter, the, um, what was the third letter? Hmm? Lamenting. The lamenting letter. Thank you. Yes, the lamenting letter. So he was lamenting over writing this letter. We don't have a copy of that, but he did lament over writing this letter. He was concerned that he would chase them off by his letter. He was concerned about how bold he was being, and he was, so he was trying not to be too bold. So, but to so to be base, the word base, it simply means to be humble, or or of low degree, low degree, low esteem. Uh, base, like anything. Base. Everything has a base. The starting point, you, you, you start building on the base, and you build up. And so, to be base is to be humble. Uh, but to be bold is a different context. In this context, in this, these two verses here, it means to confront with an intentional strength or a charge. Turn over to Galatians chapter 2 for real, real quick. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 and to 14. Okay, this is probably the example of what they were saying that Paul would never do. They said Paul would never be like this. In Galatians chapter uh, 2, verse 11. Come on, get to it. Here we go. Paul, it says, verse 11, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. 
For before there came, before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they had walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, face to face, in front of the whole clan, the whole group, he said, I said, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not do as the Jews, why compellest the Gentiles to live as the Jews? You see what's happening here. Paul got in his face. Paul was bold right there. Paul was mad. Paul was not putting up with this kind of stuff from, from Peter. Look, if you're going to be one way, be one way. If you're going to be another way, be another way. But don't flip back and forth because you're confusing people. You're causing them to dissimulate. They're basically causing them to, to be confused and, and wandering around not knowing what's going on. And so Paul was very capable of being bold. Peter had caused others to dissemble, meaning that they fell into what we would call hypocritical actions. And, uh, and so Paul simply wanted to avoid a confrontation with the church at Corinth. So he reminds the church that the boldness in his letters was so that he did not have to be bold in person. He said, yeah, I'm bold in my letters, but you don't want me to be bold when I get there. That's kind of how he said it. Go back to the Second Corinthians. But I beseech you that I may, verse 2, may not be bold. He says, I beseech you. I'm asking you to help me not be bold when I come to you. But I am present with that confidence where I think to be bold against some. I will be bold against some. Uh, some which think of us as we walk according to the flesh. I'm not in the flesh. I'm in the spirit, Paul saying. And so it's an important position to recognize and so he preferred to come with the same meekness and gentleness as Christ did. That's why he mentioned Christ in verse two, verse one. Remember, Jesus called, even Jesus referred to Jesus referred to Jesus as being meek. In Matthew chapter eleven verse twenty nine, he says, "Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your soul." So Jesus was meek. Jesus was was lowly, base. Paul says by the, in verse 1, I beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ who is present, who, who in presence and base among you. So he's just saying, look, I just want to be like Jesus every time I come before somebody. So again in verse 1, it's not a negative characteristic to be meek. It is not a negative characteristic to be a, a meek person. In fact, it's just the opposite. Being meek is a positive thing. Being meek is a good thing. Everybody in this room should desire to be meek in our in our ministry, because here meekness grows out of strength. Meekness grows out of strength. It's actually a specific example of the outflow of grace towards another. You being meek towards another person is actually you being grace, extending grace to that person. Isn't that what God did to you? He extended His meekness to you. He gave you grace, you got saved, and a lot of times he gives us grace for the dumb mistakes we make. And so, uh, it's actually a specific example of the outflow of grace. And Jesus displayed this meekness. How did he act towards, when he got arrested, how did he act towards Caiaphas and Herod and Pilate when he could have just released 12 legions of angels to secure his, free, his freedom? Yeah. He could have, and in fact he told them, he says, you know what, there's 12, 12 legions of angels, I can just knock all dignity. Eliminate this issue right now. But I'm not. I'm meek. 
I'm coming to them in meekness at this point. I will come later like that. In fact, that's what Revelation is about, especially chapter 19 and 20. And anyway, so... Um, Jesus displayed that meekness. And so in both silence and authority, Christ withheld his boldness in their, to them. Uh, he, I mean, he said something, they slapped him in the face. I mean, he could have just got up and just wailed on them. And he didn't. The church needed to be reminded of this truth, and that's what Paul is about to do. So in verse 2, meekness is a mildness or a forbearance of the acceptance of how God does deal with us. That's what he's talking about there. How God deals with us, that's how I'm going to deal with others. While considering what he could do, what you consider what God could have done in in towards us, and he could have, he withheld his boldness. So it's a word. Meek is a word that speaks of somebody in authority exercising that authority to not exercise that authority. So that authority is could be judgment. That authority could be grace, and so that's that's the issue. So it emphasizes three behaviors. Meekness does. First, meekness is expressed as a humility or a complete lack of pride. Secondly, meekness is there's a gentleness rather than a harshness or a brittleness. You know, you know how some people are. I mean, you're just hard. You're just hard. Paul didn't want to be hard. He could be, and he will be when it's necessary. He did it with Peter. Uh, and Peter wasn't even a false teacher. Peter was just a guy that got mixed up in understanding what the truth was and how to, how to, how to minister to a church. The third thing about, about meekness is it's an absence of self-defense. Meekness is an absence of self-defense to avoid a retaliation of criticism. So basically, I'm not going to defend myself that you slap me in the face, Jesus says in his mind. I'm not going to attack you because... I don't want to retaliate just because you criticize me. And, you know, sometimes as a behavior, that's what we have to do. So let me give you the first principle of leadership that we see just in these first two verses here. The first principle, and it's listed in your handout already. <clears throat> An effective leader knows how both to be, a bit, to be base and bold and knows how to balance meekness with boldness. A, lead, a good leader knows when to be bold. You know, sometimes a leader is just going to have to, you know, deal with the problem. And sometimes how he deals with that problem can be meek or bold. And so a good leader knows how to balance that out. And then in verses 3 to 6, we have that they challenge his spiritual authority. And this is a little bit of a long passage here. Not the passage is long, but the content, the contents are long too. But verse 3 to 6, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself among, against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to revenge all of disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And that's a lot saying there. There's a, there's a lot there. So their claims against Paul were not strictly an attack on his flesh, they were actually not. They were actually not just seeking to just gain leadership. They also wanted to to have Paul's spiritual influence eliminated, and they're attacking his spiritual position, his spiritual um, work that he has accomplished. Um, they wanted to eliminate his his position so they could step in and lead the church. 
to what ultimately would be spiritual error. Bad leaders, bad spiritual leaders lead churches to a bad spiritual position. And so you need to check out any leader. I don't care who they are. I would say, especially people you listen to on the radio and watch on Facebook and YouTube and stuff like that. Are they leaders that are leading in the right place? Anyway, verse 3. The critics appear to want a war of the flesh. But Paul's not interested in a war of the flesh. Even though Paul acknowledged that he's a man after the flesh. I mean, Paul said, hey, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a fleshly guy, just like you. We all have flesh. We all have to struggle with that. But the thing that Paul was very careful was he refused to let the flesh fight his battles. He refused to let the flesh fight his battles. And we all sometimes fall into that, where we want our flesh to lash out, to respond, to retaliate. Uh, or to take action that we think is, well, I'm going to be bolder now, I'm going to be in the flesh. And that's what we say, you're in the flesh, buddy, get out, back up, calm down, get back in the spirit. So even though Paul admitted that, he, he refused to let his fight be, be a fleshly flight, fight. He did not care about what others thought as long as Christ was raised up. And he would rather battle against sin, unrighteousness, falsifying of truth, or anything else that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. So if something was going to exalt itself against God, he was going to, that's what he was going to fight against. So let me talk, now, we don't, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this section here, but this is a really good passage about the reality of spiritual warfare. Because that's what, that's what ultimately is going on here, is there's a spiritual fight taking place for the, for the, uh, the, the church. Now we all, we know that there's always, we, we know that we are always in a spiritual battle. When we read passages like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, where it says, "Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. We understand that there's a battle going on. And we're, it's all, waging all around us spiritually. Ephesians six twelve, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So we know that the life of a believer in several places in Scripture, is described in terms of, a, of being at war, being in a war. Not physical. It's not a physical war. It's a spiritual war. Remember what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12? Fight the good fight of faith. He's not talking about physical fighting. He's talking about the fight, of the, the fight for spiritual victory. He says in 1 Timothy 1, 18, This charge I commit unto thee, war a good warfare. He's not talking about a physical... I know sometimes people like to justify their physical fight by these verses. But these are not physical warfare verses. These are spiritual warfare verses. In James chapter 4, verses 6 to 7, I won't read the whole passage, but it says, resist the proud, resist the devil. That's a spiritual fight. So warfare is a fundamental element of this present world from the beginning. We all know that. Remember, even before God created the heaven and the earth, there was a spiritual battle taking place in eternity past when Lucifer, the anointed cherub, led a revolt for the rule of the universe. And that was all talked about in Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28. We won't turn there. but that, I think everybody's pretty much familiar with that. Uh, we also know that God created man in Genesis chapter, three, chapter 2, chapter 1 and 2, uh, who then sinned, and a war started for the souls of men and women, that has raised on until this day. There's a battle for souls. That's a spiritual fight. That's the fight that we're in. So in verses 4 and 5, Paul is very clear. Let's read that. 
on spiritual warfare. Again, he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, through the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing it into captivity, every, every thought to the obedience of Christ. So, Paul is clear on spiritual warfare, and he had no problem doing battle on a spiritual level if necessary, and at Corinth it is now necessary. Because what's going on in the church is a spiritual battle for who's going to run the church. In verse 5, oh, let me back up. It's interesting. Notice in verse 4, verse 4 is a parenthetical verse. So if you were to read verse 3 and then jump down to verse 5, basically skipping over verse 4, you've got to ask God, why did you separate that passage? That's a pretty cool passage for our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. Why did God separate that out of the parentheses? This is the only thing I can think of. I think he separated it out to put emphasis on the battle being spiritual and not physical. That's why I think he separated it. It's like, you know, we highlight things sometimes by putting things in parentheses. We, we like, make a point. We're, like, a point within a point type of thing. And that's what Paul's doing is a point within a point. He's saying, you know, this is a spiritual battle. In verse 5, verse 5 describes the spiritual battle that's waged constantly. Each action that's listed in verse 5 is not a physical action. There's the casting down of imaginations. You know, you can't cast down physically your imagination. You can cast down your imagination, but you can't do it physically. You can't, like, pull them out of your head and throw them on the ground. You can't do that. Uh, there's, no, there's the pulling down of high things that exalts itself against God. That's kind of hard to do. It's got to be done spiritually. It's got to be done in our heart, in our mind, in our, in our, in our body, in our, not just our flesh. Um, there's the bringing down into captivity whatever is in disobedience to God or to Christ. Uh, Sometimes, I mean, it's pretty hard to... Disobedience comes from the heart, so that can't be a physical thing either. In verse 4, we have... Actually, what's kind of cool is verse 4 speaks of the weapons that we have at our disposal. For we, the weapons of our warfare are not, not carnal. So what are the weapons of our warfare for fighting this spiritual battle? I'll give them to you real quick. You probably could make a list on your own. What would be the first one? God's Word. God's Word, number one, is the Word of God. That's our weapon. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The Word of God is sharp, two-edged sword. So that sword is to use, I mean, we know it's is the Defining, dividing asunder of soul and spirit. So another uh, spiritual weapon that we have available is prayer. Obviously, prayer is a, is a weapon. Uh, in Romans chapter 14, verse 11, Paul, Paul talked about the, at the name of Christ, every knee shall bow. The name of Christ is a weapon. You know what else is a weapon? The blood of Christ. Uh, the blood of Christ saves, it cleanses, it makes us righteous. You know what else? It's praise and worship. Praise and worship is, a, is battle as well. In Acts chapter 16, verse 25 to 26, when Paul and, and, and Silas and those, those, that band of guys were in, in jail, not only did they pray, they, they sang praises, and all of a sudden the door flew open in the jail, the, the, the chains fell off, the, the uh, Philippian jailer comes running in and says, I'm starting to kill himself, thinking everybody has escaped. And Paul said, no, don't do that. We're still here. We haven't left. We haven't escaped. We're here because this is where we belong. And so this warfare is fought by the church, the spiritual battle. It cannot be fought by politicians. It cannot be fought by financial groups. It can't be fought by gifts or backdoor deals. 
you cannot fight. This is a spiritual warfare that takes place in the church. And it must be fought by the people. Yet we do not war in the flesh or warfare is because our warfare is not carnal, but mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. So this warfare brings captive the actions and the thoughts of the faulty into obedience. Or So this, this battle, is either going to, two things are going to happen. Either it's going to bring people into obedience or back into obedience. And that's what Paul is trying to do with this church, because the church is out of obedience right now. Because they've been listening to these idiots that are actually trying to control the church in a false way, and Paul has to bring them back into obedience. High things, Paul, Paul talks about high things, every high thing, verse 5. High things are those which seek to set, be set above the heights of God. And who, we already know one of those, that would be the devil, so we don't want to, we don't want him around. Um, also, false religions, political influences, humanism, even education tries to set itself above God. And we can't let that happen. Not in the church, anyway. Our warfare starts by proving all things by searching the scripture. Second, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.21 Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. So here's the second um, principle of leadership. Principle is to learn what it means to wage and win a spiritual war for those you lead. What does it mean to wage a spiritual war? Every leader really leading in that in that vendetta as well, or in that in endeavor as well. And then verse seven is kind of quick here. Verse seven is about the appearances can be deceiving. Paul says, "Do ye look on things after the outward appearance?" Question mark. If any man trust to himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. So literally, the phrase outward appearance refers to the physical appearance. And it is said, it's, it's said in, by many, and uh, there's a few verses that, that kind of indicate that Paul was of a smaller stature. Paul was a, a small man. Uh, you remember what they said about David? David was ruddy appearance. You know, that... He just, he just had this look that wasn't so appealing. And they would say that about Paul as well. Um, but Paul, uh, he would agree, okay, so sometimes his speech was a challenge. Sometimes my, my appearance was a challenge. Sometimes my letters were a challenge. But he stood, what, what he stood against was measuring leadership. And this is what a lot of people do. He stood against measuring leadership by one who had a good look or could tickle the ear with flowery speech. Sometimes we just follow people because um, he looks like a leader. And he's got this—he's got this rugged look, not not ruddy, but rugged. And so he got to be a good leader. That's not—we got to be careful about that. David was not considered a good leader when he was described as being ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance. But he was a good leader. And the implications that we have here is not to judge a leader by their appearance, but what is found within them. Romans chapter 7, verse 22, Paul says, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. So here's your third principle. It is not the outward, but what the inward man contains that makes a leader. All right, and then uh, verses 8 and 9, we're gonna, I'm going to have to move faster here, uh, is, is about authority. Verse 8, for though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed that I may not seem as if I would 
terrify you by letters. Okay, so what Paul is talking about here is basically his authority. Paul's authority was real. His authority had been challenged. And basically, one of the complaints that the false leaders, false teachers had was that they, they criticized him because they felt like he referred to his apostleship too much. Like you, you keep throwing up you're an apostle. We don't, okay, we know that, fine. Just quit saying that. But Paul brought it up for very legitimate reasons. He was, the, he was an apostle. Paul made him an apostle, and that made he had authority. That means that he's in more a charge than anybody else. Um, Paul did not rest in the credentials of his education, even though if in his education that was part of the molding that he experienced to be ready to be used by God. But he was careful in how he wielded his apostleship. He never tried to destroy somebody by leading, by throwing out his position. You know how that is. I'm the mom. I'm the dad. Do it. That's throwing out your position, right? And like by my position, I'm making you happen. I'm the boss, and I will tell you what you will do. You know, you maybe have worked for people like that. Maybe I hope you don't work like that. Um, but I think we've all dealt with somebody like that, or we know somebody or it was a situation where somebody was a leader and said, "You will do it because if you don't, I will something. I'll fire you. I'll make your life miserable. I'll cut your salary. I'll do something because I have the authority to do that." Paul would never do that. He would never damage somebody with his authority. What he did, he used his authority to pull down the strongholds in a human heart. That authority was... So we have, a, we have authority in our own heart. We all function with some authority in our own heart, we think. We, we claim that, that that's our authority. Paul, Paul said, we've got to pull that down. And by the fact that I'm an apostle, I want to help you pull that down. His authority, unfortunately... Uh, was intimidating. His authority has always been a serious attribute of leaders, and one who attempts to lead with false or feigned authority makes a mockery of the authority of the office of the pastor or the deacon. Because those are the offices of the church who have been given the authority from Christ to lead the church. And when we make a mockery of authority, we're making a mockery of the position. Paul never commanded by his apostleship. In fact, he often stated that he does not... Lead by command. He said in 1 Corinthians 7, 6, I speak this by permission. He said, I didn't speak this by command. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8, we already looked at this. He said, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others to prove the sincerity of your love. He says, I'm not speaking from authority here. I'm speaking from the heart. I'm speaking from, uh, not by commandment, but by the occasion. I don't give this uh, by, by commandment. I give it by permission. And so the fourth leadership principle then is never put your authority in front of your position of, as a leader. Never put your, your authority in front of your position as a leader. Don't throw out your, your authority as you try to lead. Your, 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 your authority should come just by the fact that you are leading. And so if you're trying to push your leadership or push your authority in front of who you are, you're going to try to plow over the person you're trying to lead because of your authority. You're going to make a mistake. And that's what happens. All right, so we're going we're gonna, to... <laughs> quick. Okay, verses 10 and 11, Paul was not a coward. Verse 10 says, For his letters say they are... For his letters say they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech content, contemptible. Let such and one think this, that such as we are in words by letters when he, we are absent, such will we be indeed when we are present. 
So he did not concern himself about the accusation that he was not good looking. He didn't care about what people thought about what he looked like. Uh, in verse 11, he was very sure uh, he, to have sharpened his pen. He had to have sharpened his pen when he wrote this because he gets a little testy with the false teachers in verse 11. Let such an one think this, that such as we are in word by letters when we are absent, such we will also be when we are present. I think he got a little testy with them there. So you can call me ugly, you can say I don't speak well, you can do all that kind of stuff, but if you really want to test me, wait till you see my, that, my, by, that by my presentation of myself, that will extend, exceed that which you have seen me in my letters. I'm gonna, I will be more bold than my letters ever were bold. You think my letters were bold? Wait till I'm there. So that's what Paul is telling. I'm not a coward. I'm not afraid of you people. I'm going to do what needs to be done. He said, there is no discrepancy between my words and my deeds. So the fifth principle of leadership is never talk without the walk. Or in other words, make sure that you, you can and will truly honor your own words. In other words, keep your integrity. If you say something, do it. If you say it, honor your own words. Uh, one of the things that, that for me personally... Um, I consider integrity by every person to be a huge uh, value. If you say something, do something. I mean, it's one, okay, if you say something and it doesn't, like I, you know, I do make mistakes sometimes and I own up to those because that's part of the integrity. I, make my, I made a mistake, I'm sorry. Uh, let me correct that. Let me fix that however I need to. But, I'm, uh, but I, um, I, wanna, I want my integrity to be, to be to be uh, solid all the time. I want your integrity to be solid all the time. And I think you want your leaders to have a solid integrity. And it will wrap up verses 12 to 18, uh, a, a passage about comparing or measuring yourself. And uh, I'll try to read through this pretty quick, starting in verse 12. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. For we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even to, unto you. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reached not unto you. For we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel. Verse 15, Now boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other man's labors, but having hope with, when the, your faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged by you according to your rule, abundantly, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord, for he that commendeth himself is approved but unto the Lord, but whom the Lord, uh, but whom the Lord commendeth. Okay, so that's a lot there, but basically the problem with these, these false teachers, well, they were comparing themselves with themselves. In verse 12, there's a ridiculous need to compare themselves with themselves. They constantly compared themselves with others to justify the measure of their own ministry. Well, look what I've done. Look what I'm doing. Look, what, look how much I'm getting accomplished. There was something that Paul absolutely avoided. While they patted their own backs, they also had some sort of a mutual admiration society that Paul would have none of, no part of. He would not fall for, for that at all. And in verse 13, the results of his ministry is not worthy to be compared to, the, to their false ministry. He said in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. They were trying to compare themselves for their own glory. Paul said, I'm not having any of that. They boasted, verses 15 and 16, they boasted of false things. 
They claim to have done much work, including salvation and church plans and teaching and training and so on. They claimed what other men's labor had been. They wanted to take for themselves what the labor had been that others had done. Like somebody comes rolling into the HBF one day and says, look at the church I started. You know, start, I mean, that would be what these guys do. They basically have come into the church and said, look what we did. Look what we've accomplished here at our church. Because they wanted to be the leaders of the church. In contrast to their claim on another man's property or work, Paul was clear. He would not go or claim to go where another man's work was already established. Paul didn't want to go there. He said, if somebody else is there, I don't need to go. I don't need to claim that. Praise the Lord, that person is doing what he's doing. So as a closing note, there must have been other churches. It's an interesting thing to think about. There must have already been other churches that Paul said, I'm not going to go there because there's already a work there. I'm not going to go there because there's that there. I was thinking, well, who, who could have started a church? And I thought, well, maybe Barnabas. You know how Barnabas and Paul separated in Acts chapter 16, 15, 16? Uh, maybe Barnabas has already passed through this area, planted a work. Uh, maybe Aquila uh, uh, and Priscilla had planted a work. We don't know. But there was other churches that were started. So this last principle of leadership, and then we'll be done, is to do your own work and let the Lord commend who he approves. Do your own work. Don't do the work of somebody else and try to claim it for yourself. Um, you may work with other people, and you, you may be uh, commended by the Lord for that work, but don't try to take it on as your work if it's not your work. But do your own work. That's the important part, to do your own work. So we'll finish up here. Um, I was going to wrap up and just kind of list them all off here real quick, but I think you got So let's go ahead because we're, out, we're over time. Let's pray and then we'll be dismissed. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for these principles and leadership. I do pray, Father, that all of our leaders constantly are, are evaluating their own leadership skills uh, and, and values and principles and that they, uh, they aren't leading uh, in the way of uh, the flesh or not letting the flesh control themselves or guide them or, or do the battle for them or any of that kind of stuff, Lord, and it's all uh, of a spiritual nature. We thank you and praise you for it. We look forward to hearing what Brian has to say in the main service. In Jesus' name, amen.